I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. And so I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit before we went on to the seven. So six is the most complicated number on the Enneagram, and it is the only number that, besides its wings, has two variants. 
that have nothing to do with the wings, maybe a little bit to do with the wings, but beyond the wings, still also two variants. Uh, actually, I feel like we have a lot of new people here today. Maybe I should bring you up to speed. Is that a good idea? Okay, so we are in a sermon series about the Enneagram. The Enneagram is this ancient tool. Um, you think of personality tests you take at work a lot, a lot of time. It's a leadership tool that you might use at work. This is not meant for leadership or for the job world. This is meant to help you grow in, um, in knowledge of yourself and also growth in love of God and love of neighbor and how you respond to the world. This is a Christian tool. It is meant down deep to make you have epiphanies of faith. And so we are on number seven. This is a seven-week series, um, but we're going to talk about the six for just a little bit. And so this phobic and, and, uh, and counterphobic for the six, um, when people walk into a room, they always pay attention to something. And every number pays attention to something differently. You walk into a room, and everybody responds to that room in a particular way. The way a six responds to the room is around the word authority. They tend to scope out, weirdly enough, who has the authority in the room. Um, if they're used to the place and they already know, that's a little bit different. But if they're coming into a brand new situation, they've never been to this place before, scope out who the authority is. And the way that the phobic and the counterphobic interact with that authority is, makes them very different. And so a phobic person, and I might have told somebody, some of you this backwards last week, so forget what I said because I had to do more research. The phobic person um, finds the, the authority and they, they submit because their fear, their fear down deep inside is that they won't have security and they won't have safety. And they feel like if this person is in, in, in authority, they will offer me that security and that safety. And so those who are in authority love a good phobic six. They love them because they're like your teacher's pet, right? Like the one who brings you the apple um, and at the classroom. Like, I've got to figure out how to get on your good side. I want you to like me. Um, yeah, if you are in authority, you like a six, because they normally will eat what you say, because they just, they've got to submit to you. The counterphobic six does something different. They rebel against authority when they walk in the room. They can seem very aggressive up front. Um, they can sometimes be mistaken for eights a little bit of the time. They're kind of um, watching to see if you're legit, if you have uh, an agenda. They will question you. They will counter you. They will see if you can stand up to their critique and their questions. And if a counterphobic six um, smells a rat, I told you how they, they have trust issues, they smell a rat, or if they have somebody before them that has not deserved their respect, um, has not proven that they're that they should be loyal to them, then they, will, they, can, they can tear that person apart. Um, at their worst, they can tear that person apart. But the thing that defines a six most of the time is no six is fully phobic or fully counterphobic, which makes you very complicated people. So you can't always anticipate how you're going to respond to what authority figure when you walk into a room. So some authority figures, you're going to immediately respond by submitting. Some, of, some authority figures, you're going to feel like you need to buck against them. And you don't, it's, very, it's a very unsettling thing in you to figure out, why am I like that? Why am I counter sometimes? Why am I phobic other times? And so sixes end up coming out looking very different. So some sixes look like, um, like guardians um, because they're, they, they, they guard people and they want to guard the, the, 
the beautiful things in life like, like education and the, the grounded things in life, like the church and education and family. They're big supporters of those things. Other sixes um, look very skeptical and challenging, and they can be very difficult for you because they're operating more out of their counterphobia. Um, other sixes, um, they can walk in a room and kind of just like they're like sniffing out the liars when they walk in a room. And you can feel that in them, that they're just like, they, they're, they're challenging almost everybody, everywhere they go. Um, and then the kind of six that we mostly talked about last week was the worst case scenario six, the one always preparing for what might go wrong, always, um, always trying to see what might be needed down the road. Um, sixes can look so many different ways. So if you tested as a six, and you didn't feel like you related at all to my message last week, know that there's only one strand I can go with a six. I can't tell. There's so many of you, and there's, you're so um, complicated and intricately woven and beautiful people, and God loves you too. Okay? So now we're going to move on to the sevens. We're going to move on to the sevens. So let's um, talk about the enthusiast today. David, um, we're going we're gonna to root ourselves in the story of David. David is one of the most important figures in the Bible. It says that he was a man after God's own heart. He was selected by God. He was an influential man who did great things. And he also did horrible, horrible, horrendous things. He was a profound leader. And he was deeply, deeply flawed. But no matter what David did... No matter whether he was paving a path toward heaven or paving a path toward hell, he was doing it with all of his might. And when we meet David today, it says he was dancing, dancing before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. And so you can, you can picture like a pope in a mosh pit. <laughs> and it says that, that David and all the people of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord. And so what's that? What is the Ark of the Lord? Unless, of course, you might know something related to Indiana Jones. It's not that, not fully. Um, the Ark of the Lord was this chest, and they would carry um, the remnants of the Ten Commandments in it. And when the Israelites would go into battle, they would carry with them the Ark of the Lord, which they believed housed the presence of God, that would pave the way for them. And when they led with it, no army, no army at all could stand against them. But they, they later find out that, you know, if they sin, God doesn't really care if you're carrying the box. Yeah. Uh, they find that out later. But, so the ark is this holy relic that they believe carries within it the presence of God. And when they bring it forward, the people respond with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. But as the Ark of the Lord entered the city of David, it says, Michael, the daughter of Saul, Michael is a female, okay, she's a woman, um, Michael, the daughter of, of Saul, who is also David's wife, it does not tell you that in this passage, but good thing to know, it does, I don't know why it doesn't tell you that, um, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window at David, and there she saw David with all his joy, leaping and dancing before the Lord, and it says she was filled with contempt. When she saw David leaping and dancing and not having a care about her anxiety, she's like, and she rolls her eyes at David, 
If you're married, you know that kind of... <sighs> Chris makes that sound a lot. <laughs> he, he rolls his eyes a lot at me. Um, Chris is like, the, for me, like the rails at the bowling alley. I'm pretty confident that I don't need them when I starve out at anything. <laughs> and then when I realize I'm not going to actually bowl a 300 uh, and that all my balls are going into the gutter, um, then I realize how much I need. I need my, my rails. Chris is my rails. And Michael, David's rails, looks down at her husband and she's like, they brought the Ark of the Lord and they set it in its place, a tent, a special place. They had prepared for it. And David is just nonchalantly, without a care, here in the world, David leaps and dances as he offers burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. You heard the, the scripture, though, right? Like, a dude just touched the box and died on the spot. It says David had anger towards the Lord. He feared the Lord's wrath. And now he's dancing and leaping before God. David also distracts himself by a couple of other things. He, he finished making the sacrifices before God. David blessed the people in the name of the Lord and heaven's armies, and he gave every single Israelite, you know, I'm just going to give some stuff to them because, you know, giving gifts feels good. And so I'm going to give them some stuff. I'm going to give them, um, give the crowd a loaf of bread and some cake of dates and a, and a cake of raisins. And you had me until raisins. Um, uh, as a seven, I think raisins are depressed grapes. Uh, and it's... It's actually it's an ongoing debate in our household because um, Chris loves raisins and we keep them in the house only because he wants them. And um, his favorite candy is raisinettes. And I will debate to the end of my days that that is not real candy. <laughs> so then all the people returned to their homes and when David returned home to bless his own family, his wife Michael, the daughter of Saul, comes out to meet him. You know you're in trouble when your wife meets you in the driveway. She says in disgust how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girl like any vulgar person would do. We get some more information about how this dancing took place. We don't exactly know what happened, but at some point, David's worship turned into Woodstock, um, Christchella into Coachella, <laughs> and the clothes came off of David at some point. And David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord. Who chose me above your father? Got poor personal real fast. <laughs> and all his family, and he appointed me the leader of Israel and the people of the Lord. And so I celebrate before the Lord because, yes, I am full of joy. And I choose to find something to be happy about. And I choose to see the bright side in things. And I choose not to fret. And I choose not to worry. And I choose not to dwell. And those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished because I have chosen to be free. 
That's the enthusiast. David later says in the Psalms, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is joy that has set him free. So who is the enthusiast? The enthusiast reflects God's joy. I mean, have any of you ever been to church and thought, God must hate us all. This place is dead. I mean, I, I've been to some churches where people just seem like this is the last place on earth they want to be, right? They look like they just ate a bunch of raisins. <laughs> you ever been to church and someone's like, I love this church so much. Good to see you. Seriously, if you love it, tell your face, right? Like, tell your face that you love it because I can't see it on you. Sevens are perpetually surprised. They are the greatest at being open to epiphanies. This is their season in the life of the church. They can, they can receive things and actually have ahas, and they have ahas almost every day of their life. That's why I love to look at sevens when I preach. They're the only people smiling in the room. And I think half of it, they're smiling to them, and they're smiling a little bit because they're happy or they're wanting to be happy, but they also want me to be happy. I feel that from them. They want me to think that, they want to give me encouragement. They want me to think that, that they're with me. Um, that's, that's a seven. And it doesn't have to be this exuberant, like, like head nod, like thing. It doesn't have to be like, yes, I'm with you. Yes, yeah, amen. It doesn't have to be that. Sometimes it's just this like gentle smile, but I'll keep looking back at that same person over and over and over again. They're, they're full of joy. Sevens, they kind of get, <laughs> sevens, they kind of get mystery. Because they're people of epiphany, they're people who are willing to have their minds opened, they, they get mystery. They, and they do not like, they do not like reductionism. They do not like simple thinking. They do not like one sentence answers. They get that things are complicated. They get that there may be more, more than one side to an issue. Don't try to tell me who I am. They're skeptical of exact answers. Because fundamentally, down deep, they want to be free. They want the way out. Because if you give them exact answers, they're now boxed in. They believe that, that this isn't the last word. Whatever today is like, if today sucked, if it did, this, today's not the last word. There, there's no way this is it. There's no way this could be all of it. There's got to be more. There, there's got to be something better than this. There's got to be another great step. There's got to be something beyond this. The th enthusiast reflects God's joy. God is a God of joy. And God loves to laugh. And God loves to celebrate. This is who God is. Even when Jesus talks about judgment, he talks about a party and a feast. You just get to choose which room you go to. Are you going to go to the Feast of Life or are you going to go to the Feast of Death? Have you, have you become locked in a, in a cell once 
Have you become locked up? Have you refused to be free ones by your own perfection? Or, or twos, have you become locked in your sense of duty, your sense to serve? Threes, have you become locked by your egos? Have you become bound by your emotions? Four, are you, are you bound up in all of that? Fives, have you become bound in a cage of your thoughts? Sixes, are you bound by your anxiety? Or will you choose to be liberated like the sevens? Sevens reflect God's joy because they have chosen not to be bound by all that other junk. They've chosen freedom from it. And it doesn't mean they don't fear, and it doesn't mean they don't have anxiety, but they've chosen to be free of it. It is for freedom that Jesus has set us free. Because God loves a good time. God loves to laugh. God loves to smile upon us. God loves to give us the desires of our hearts. God loves to party, but sevens, God, God loves to party as long as, you know, sevens, no one gets hurt. No one pukes. No one gets arrested. No one contracts an STD in the process. Party away, sevens. The seven's motivation down deep is to be happy, to find pleasure in life, and to avoid pain. And let me say this, God is the God of pleasure. You ask a church person, and they go to, on, when they've been on a trip to Vegas, you ask a church person how it went, and they're like, well, you know, I had to go for work. I mean, I really didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I didn't take any pleasure in actually going to Vegas. You know, I didn't pay I didn't take any of those little cards with the naked women on them that they pass out to you. I turned them all down. I promise. I promise I turned them all down. And every time I passed the slot machine, my hand went like this and I walked right by them. And I'm like, I was just asking you how your trip was. Was it good? <laughs> Did you have a good time? No ulterior motive here. It, is it okay to have a good time, people? Is it okay to have a good time? I didn't ask you, did you lose all your inhibitions and go crazy or gamble all your money away? I asked you, did you have a good time? Sevens know how to answer that question, normally. I didn't ask you if you sinned. I asked you if you had a good time. How sad is it that when something is really good like chocolate, like chocolate cake, decadent chocolate cake, people say, ooh, this is sinfully delicious. You know why the world looks at something and says, ooh, this is sinfully delicious? Because they've been to church and didn't see anything delicious at church. I'm never going back. That was horrible. Didn't make me feel happy. Didn't make me feel good, good about life. Didn't make me feel good about my future. Didn't make me, just, it was horrible. The motivation is pleasure and to avoid pain. And here's the beauty of the enthusiast. When healthy, they are able to find joy. They are able to see the best in situations. They are able to see the best in people. If your job environment is toxic, if you hate going to work because the culture and the people are unhealthy and toxic, or you don't like like the work you do at all, find a seven. 
Hire a seven. Befriend a seven. No matter how crappy the job is, no matter how toxic the people are, sevens will find a way to maintain their joy. Seven, as you imagine, is my second highest number. I'm a three-wing four, but my second highest number is a seven. I would say without my seven, I would be a much less nicer person, <laughs> much more self-absorbed. Without the seven to counteract my three, I would bulldoze and be so consumed by the desire to succeed that I wouldn't see real people. I wouldn't make time to, to hear your joys, to give charity and, um, and, and gentleness and, and generosity and listen to your stories. I would be too driven without my seven. We love to do life with sevens. We like sevens. That they don't have to be the life of the party to love a seven. You know sevens. You know sevens who are the life of the party, because that's what everybody thinks a seven is most of the time. But you also know the sevens that when you're in the room with them, somehow they make the room feel better. I don't know why, but there's something about a seven's presence that adds a quality that when it is missing, you're like, things derailed here today without my sevens. If there's sevens not in a room, you're like, this, is, this was something wrong, and it might there was lack of, maybe it's the lack of joy. There's something, there was something missing in the room. Sevens are normally the most loving and charitable people in the room. And they don't have to be blatantly hug you to death people to be that. Sevens are also visionary. Sevens can see and get excited about the picture that the three paints. So that's why threes love sevens. They see my picture even if it's like shooting planes into space. They see it and, they, and, they, and they're willing to kind of be a bit about it. Sevens are versatile. They have many gifts and many areas. They might be incredibly knowledgeable in their field, but touted most of the time for their social skills or their emotional intelligence that helps them read a room, create a charitable work environment, Notice and include those who are not being included in the conversation. Set a room at ease. Sevens are resilient. Why? Because they're optimistic. They're positive. They believe in things that people can't see. If you're half-empty kind of person, hang out with a seven. They are stubbornly, stubbornly kind of half-full people. And it will drive you insane, especially you sixes. Sevens also inspire people, mainly because they have this sense of what is pleasurable, what, what people want, what people like. You can tell if your church is alive by the number of sevens who choose to worship there. Sevens believe that the church can be more than just a place that convicts you of your sin or puts you to sleep on a Sunday morning. Sevens realize that there is enough crappiness out in the world already. There's enough junk out there. Like, why add more to it? The barn could be on fire, and sevens say, well, at least we can roast some marshmallows. <laughs> sevens are the kind of people that um, randomly, weirdly, you, you know you look at a you look at like the list of course offerings at a college and you're, there's always like the random ones in there and you're like, who would ever take that course? Who would ever take, you know,
know, uh, I don't know, Midwest Midwestern basket weaving, or or who would ever take <coughs> Atlantic pirates? You know, like who would take these courses? These are strange courses. Sevens sometimes do. They like they like those they like the weird podcasts. They love listening to things that no one else really much cares about. They're, but they, they'll listen to these stories. Why do you listen to that? I don't know. It's a good story. Which comes to their main communication way. Sevens communicate in story, and they hear you in story. They want to know your story, and they don't want to know your story to, to avoid the facts. They want to know your story because they believe that the depth is in the story. So you meet a a seven at a party, it doesn't matter whether they're the socialite in the room or the quietest person in the room. If you engage with them, notice they love to say, that reminds me of something I listened to the other day. That reminds me of a podcast I was listening to. That reminds me of a story I heard. That reminds me of this person who told me this thing. Don't mistake that a seven isn't deep just because they're joyful. But here's, here's the thing, sevens. <laughs> If you've been paying attention so far, you know that in the thinking triad, five, six, and seven are dealing with a deep down sense of fear. And so fives fear incompetence, not knowing, not understanding, and so when they're unhealthy fives, remember, something comes along in life that you can't understand, you can't explain, you can't reason through it, like illness or infertility or job loss, and this fear drives you to be distant and push yourself away from people and to go into your little closet, into your sacred little room. Sixes, sixes have the same, a similar fear. Sixes fear being prepared, they, not being prepared, they fear the, the bottom falling out on life. They fear losing their footing, their security, their relationships, their trust, their fear, their faith. They fear a lot of things. And so when they are unhealthy and the winds of, and waves of life you know, beat up against them, when a loved one dies, or when work is horrible, or when the future they prepared for doesn't seem to be working out like they had prepared it to be, the fear drives them deeper into their anxiety, drives the five into solitude, it drives the six into anxiety and sevens, enthusiasts. You're not immune from this fear. Why are sevens always so positive? Always finding the best in people. Every time you talk bad about someone, they're like, I don't think we should be talking bad about them. Drives you crazy if you're a gossiper, doesn't it? Gossip, yeah. <laughs> um, no, we shouldn't be talking bad about these things. Uh, yeah, why, why are they so positive, always finding the best in people? Because deep down, they fear pain. They fear discomfort. They fear being stuck, being imprisoned by, by, by their pain, by the suffering of life, by, by being paused in, in the bad, in the darkness. What? They don't want to stay there. An unhealthy seven is terrified of the darkness. And so they go into this place of denial, the world-class ability to just keep moving. And people around them say, how can you just keep moving through all that pain? Look at you. So they want to be you, sevens. They want to move through the pain like you move through the pain. They want to move through the anxiety like you move through the anxiety. But what they don't know 
is that positivity is covering up, covering up for a whole, a whole lot of pain. Grief, sevens, is central to joy. You cannot know what joy looks like if you have not known what suffering is. The word Israel, the word Israel means struggle. And David the seven had to lead a country whose very essence is the word struggle. Another word is suffering. You want to know what suffering is, means in Latin? It means to allow. So sevens, I invite you today, allow Allow yourself to sit in the pain. Allow yourself to sit in the discomfort. If life sucks, don't run away from it. Don't run away from it, but sit in it for a little while. Because grief is essential to joy. Would you pray with me? God, we know that you are the author of our joy. But our positivity and our moving forward and our moving past things and not dwelling and not sitting in it can lead us to this, this place where we're not even sure what we feel anymore. We may be burnt out. We may be dissatisfied. Our work. We've, we've existed so long as the positive person at work that we don't even know that we might be hurting. We might need some care. Why are we always the ones worried about everyone else and how they're getting along? We've chosen to move past it so many times that we forget about the pain that actually we feel when, when we lose a pet we've had forever or we, we struggle with infertility, or whatever that thing is that we've been trying to just, it's okay, it's okay, we move past it. It'll be okay, life's gonna be okay. But God, you wrote scripture that was both psalms of praise and also psalms of lament. Through your servant, David, David had to learn how to be angry and sad. He had to sit in the darkness So we pray that prayer with you, Jesus, where you taught us to think both about your glory in heaven and also the unpleasant thing of our sin. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you another secret of the truth. It feels like sinking when I'm standing in So I look to the future and I book another flight. When everything feels heavy.
see.